Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. My name is Brian, if you don't know who I am. I'm Sean. And uh, we are tag teaming today. Uh, it's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, so work out, work out the, the rust a little know, bit. Seriously. Uh, for those of you that ha- that weren't here previously, and maybe last year, year before, we used to tag team all the time with with the teachers in here. Uh, so we have five people that teach in here. Sean and I are just two of them. You won't see me again until March, right? Uh, <laughs> end of March um, when the series closes. So uh, what happens in between that, you know, uh, it's up to you. But no, we we. Uh, we think it's valuable. We were talking, Sean and I were talking, uh, especially given the topic that we're moving into today, um, it was valuable to have multiple people leading and teaching in this particular uh, intro. So um, we believe gospel fruit grows from gospel roots, hence the name of the class. Uh, so I would say, good morning, good morning, come on in. Handouts in the back. This morning is the start of season five healthy church. Uh, so if you haven't been here for previous seasons, that's okay. Um, we have talked through a lot of different concepts over the course of the past few years. Uh, we do want to highlight that this is a topical series. So uh, if you're with us and we were going through Galatians, that would be an expositional series. So an expositional series is we're really trying to take a particular passage and understand the main point of that passage, teach that as the main point of our lesson, and then apply it to our lives. This is a little bit different in that as we're not taking the main point of particular passages as much as we are looking at concepts across the scripture. How does the Bible address church leadership and discipling in these particular in this particular quarter? So we want to make a distinction there because uh, we're going to put a lot of scripture passages up at various points. And Sean and I have to resist the urge to like oh. dive deeper into those and teach them expositionally. Uh, but we can't do that because uh, that's not the goal of this series. So I want to be clear on that so you know, kind of going into it, the goal um, is to approach these things topically. I think both are good, both have their place, and, and there's value in that. So yeah. It also gives you like a big picture view of like, how does the Bible address a specific topic over all of Scripture rather than just in one, one specific region? So um, just to kind of bring you up to speed very quickly, if you were not with us in previous seasons of Healthy Church, mm-hmm. uh, we have tracked through quite a bit of ground. Um, in season one, we honed in on the church kind of as a whole. We talked about the church as um, the people of God, the body of Christ, temple of the spirit, and kind of flesh that out. And then we talked about expositional preaching, uh, which probably sounds boring, but I promise you it's not. Uh, really how you hear God's word as a church member uh, is, is, is where that, that came into play. So we talked about that. Uh, season two was biblical theology, the whole truth about God and God's good news. So we honed in on kind of that a big picture, sound doctrine shapes the church and the gospel. We honed in on the gospel. Um, so that was season two. Season three, we got into uh, real change and reaching the lost, which was conversion and evangelism. So how does God change us? How does God make a people? And then 
How do we tell other people about that kind of change, about the good news? Uh, and then our last uh, season four was committing to one another and guarding one another. So membership and discipline. We spent a lot of time uh, kind of hashing through those. And the reason we want to keep, kind of continue to, to put this in front of you is you see kind of how all these work together. Uh, so the puzzle piece graphic we think is helpful. It's not original with us. We didn't create it. Uh, we got permission from Nine Marks to use the, the puzzle pieces for this series. Um, so, but it, it shows how everything's kind of intertwined. So as we come to season five today, uh, we're going to add two more puzzle pieces to the, the picture. And that is growing one another and leading one another. So discipling and leadership. All right. So we're going to start today with leading one another and then move into discipling. So all of these past sessions are available on the podcast. We have Gospel Roots podcast. So if you're like one of those sounds particularly interesting, I would encourage you to kind of tag in on that. So um, I will say, though, uh, I'm not in here until the end of March. So I listen to the podcast all the way through. It's not the same as being here in the room. Uh, there's something about the embodied presence, being with people and hearing. It's just different. Uh, you can track with it, but uh, it's harder. So I would encourage you to be here. The podcast is there if you can't. Um, so if you've been with us any length of time, you know we like books in this class. At least I do. And that kind of affects, I guess, the rest of the class. But um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of books on the back counter. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Um, they're all free. So you want to grab one, take one. Um, I'm gonna take one of each. If you brought a backpack. If you, yeah, that's true. Uh, you can borrow Sean's backpack. Yeah. He has a backpack. Um, so just a couple to highlight um, conversion. If you only pick one book to read out of the Building Healthy Church series, read this one. Uh, it's the yellow ones back there. Um, so much, so much of who we are as the church and how we live as the church flows out of the change that God makes in our hearts. And whether or not it's God that makes that change or we, us as people that make that change. So understanding that affects everything else that we do. So, um, and that's very well-written, clear, um, very digestible. So that's my plug for that one. Uh, also back there is what is a healthy church uh, overview, big picture. If you're like, you know, maybe you didn't, haven't been here in any of the healthy church series, grab this one. Um, very readable as well. These are all kind of small, skinny books. Um, for the nerds among us, if you'd like a longer argument, uh, I think I have one copy of Nine Marks of a Healthy Church back there. That's the longer treatment. That's going to get you several hundred pages. Okay. Not going to read that one on the toilet probably, but um, I read on the toilet. That's why I make those. That's why I make those uh, statements. But um, so... You're saying don't borrow. Don't books. borrow my books. Yeah, don't. That's that's why that's why I give out books. So, um, this one is back there. Church elders, how to shepherd God's people like Jesus. That's the much of what's going to shape uh, our uh, time over the next five six weeks. Don't be alarmed by the word elders. We we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, if you're like, okay, what's that? I'm familiar with that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, also, with elders is a study guide. Uh, which is leading one another. So not necessary. I think there's only a handful of those back there. But if you if you would like to get the whole scope of what we're going to teach through in the next six weeks, that's that's that. So um, I would encourage you to grab that. Uh, also back there is deacons. Um, so we're not going to talk a lot about deacons in this series. Uh, we actually, we we'll spend one week on deacons. Uh, that's going to go much deeper than we can go in this series. Uh, so 
I would encourage you to grab that one. It's, it's a great read. Um, and we, we want to land here just for a minute before we kind of move into um, our next phase. Because I was, I was going through this and I was thinking, this might look like the most boring reading that, <laughs> that you could possibly do. You're like, there's no way I'm reading a book about church elders and about deacons. Um, I, I can see that. All right. I, I get that. You know, I look at that and say, ah, that's not me. Um, but I would just, I would just maybe push back on that a little bit and say, we, we planned this healthy church idea in the fall of 2020. So this is 2023. Uh, we sketched out how these sections would go together in 2020, not knowing the context that our church would be in at the beginning of 2023 when we'd be talking about church leadership. You like to call those coincidences, but 100%. tongue in cheek, <laughs> tongue in cheek, right? We don't believe in coincidences. So given the, the current time in the life of our church, perhaps you pick up <clears throat> one of these books <clears throat> where you wouldn't normally. Um, so that's, that's kind of the plug there. Um, there's a lot of ideas out there about who leaders are in the church, what they should be like, how they should lead. There's a lot of ideas that aren't biblical. <clears throat> so ultimately want to get to what's, what's biblical. So lots of resources back there, handful, they're free. Please avail yourself of them. Let's pray. Okay. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for time together. Uh, we're, we're grateful for who you are. We're reminded of uh, your love for your church far surpasses uh, any love that we have for the church. Uh, so we model our love for each other after your love for us. And so I pray as we talk through these ideas over the course of the next quarter here, and we kind of intro some of those things today, that you would give us wisdom, give us guidance, that you would give us understanding through your spirit. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So what about elders? I said a minute ago, church elders, what is that? Why do we have a book on that? Um GBC does not have elders, or do we? I don't know. When you guys hear the word elder, what pops into your mind? I don't even know what an elder is. <laughs> what pops into your mind? Elder, it's word association. What pops into your mind? Leader. Leader, okay. I would have gone with old people. Well, older. Yes. Older. 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 I like how you, you kind of qualify. Not old, but older. Wise, okay. Good one. Anybody else? <laughs> Gray hair? Yeah. I think old people is what, that's my word. I wish uh, Bob Hanley were in here because Bob Hanley's my hero. Uh, I aspire to have the beard that Bob has someday with all the gray and the white, but not there yet. I'm getting there, getting some gray, but um, lots of different things pop in your mind when you hear the word elder. Um, and so thinking through, how do we typically refer to people who lead in the church? How do we typically refer to people who lead in the church? church leadership. Okay, church leadership. Pastors. Pastors, maybe, okay. Um, pastors, certainly a common term. Um, part of our goal in introing this is we don't want you to get hung up on the word elders. So I wanna to explain to you kind of why um, we're using that word and why we think it's helpful to use that word. Um, 
And we thought the best way to do that would be to show you a quick video. It's a couple of minutes long. It's actually by the guy who writes the Nine Mark Study Guides. His name is Bobby Jamison. So uh, he explains it much more succinctly and clearly than we can. Uh, so we're going to roll that for you. I'm not sure what the volume's like, so. Every elder is a pastor. The New Testament uses three terms that are all distinct, but they all describe the same office. They refer to the same reality. So one of those is elder, another is overseer, and the third one, which is actually the least common, is pastor. So you see all three of these terms uh, used of the same office. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul calls the elders of the church of Ephesus to come to him. Uh, verse 28, he refers to them as having been made overseers by the Holy Spirit. And uh, in his sermon to them, he exhorts them to care for the church. The Greek verb behind that word care is shepherd, which is where we get our word pastor. Uh, so elder, overseer, pastor, they're all describing the same office, the same role. And I think uh, throughout the New Testament, we do see that the elders who rule well, for instance, 1 Timothy 5, 17, uh, are worthy of double honor. But we don't see that the office of elder is restricted to those who do it full time. So you might have someone who's a uh, business owner, a teacher, a gardener, whatever, by day, but he's also an elder of the church, which means he is a pastor. He is shepherding. He's teaching. He's setting a godly example. He's contributing together with the other elders uh, to set the overall direction of the church. And I think one of the reasons that's really important for a man who aspires to pastoral ministry to consider is that pastoring is not all or nothing. Uh, it does make a big difference whether your day job is uh, an army test pilot uh, or the senior pastor of the church. That is a very significant practical difference. But it doesn't mean the army test pilot cannot also be a pastor. And I recognize churches in different traditions will have different sort of takes on this. Uh, but I think biblically speaking, uh, it should be recognized publicly. It should be integrated into the life of the church that every elder is a pastor. So, for instance, various of our elders in our local church, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, including the ones who are not paid full-time by the church. Uh, they'll teach publicly in a variety of contexts. They'll do premarital counseling, weddings, funerals. Uh, they'll lead services. Uh, and they, they have every bit as much of a vote and a contribution on the whole eldership uh, as the full-time pastors do. As one of the full-time pastors, I often lose votes uh, to something I propose or on, on something that a lay elder might, uh, might propose instead. So every elder is a pastor. One of the big takeaways is that means that you're, you're not sort of facing a yawning chasm. If you're having a desire to do more pastoral work, if you're having a desire uh, to preach and teach God's word, to shepherd people, to care for them, to counsel them, to invest really significantly in the health of the whole church, it's not like your only way to do that is to quit everything, go to seminary, uh, pack up, and eventually somehow try to become a full-time preaching pastor. It's really more of a spectrum. Uh, and we've even seen in our own church a number of lay elders over time uh, get hired full-time by the church just between sort of distinguished gifts they had and particular needs or opportunities our church has. Uh, so I think one of the, the pressures that a man can feel that can lead to a sort of existential crisis is, oh, I just have this desire to do more and more for the Lord. I just have this desire to, to teach and to help people understand God's word, and I just feel so constrained in my day job. Well, that could be a good indication that you want over time to move your vocation toward pastoral ministry. But it doesn't necessarily mean you have to quit your job. There's lots of faithful ways to fulfill that vocation, to serve and build up God's church, without it meaning a decisive break from what you're doing. So I think recognizing that every elder is a pastor can helpfully take some wrong weight and pressure off of uh, how you're trying to make some of those decisions. 
So again, every elder is a pastor. Every pastor is an elder. For more on that, you can look especially at 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, Acts chapter 20, uh, and elsewhere elders are mentioned in the New Testament. Any thoughts on that? Like rapid fire. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say coming into this, I had a potentially jacked up view of like what what that actually was, like the offices and like my life growing up in the church. I was like the people that left <coughs> the church were the pastors and like didn't really understand like what the what were the requirements and um, who could be and who couldn't be a pastor and, and all of that kind of stuff. So. Um, I think, I think he does a good job of laying down, like, like we use, we use those terms, like they're separate things and they're not necessarily separate things. Um, and it's an office of leadership of the church that is appointed by God with certain qualifications and characteristics that we'll talk about here. Coming up. But, um, I think he breaks down some of that, like it's gotta be your full-time job and, um, there's only like you have to go to seminary or you have to have these certain qualifications to actually be a pastor or be an elder um, or lead a church. Um, and really, that's our American view. It is not necessarily the Bible's view of that. It is it is very much our like experience that we have up to this point sort of shaping that rather than what the Bible actually says about it. So um, that picture of you have to go to school to, to lead people to follow Christ breaks down pretty quickly when you're in other countries and other cultures. Like that's, that's not really a thing. So I think um, he does a good job of sort of like painting the picture of like, it doesn't matter what your vocation is, leading people to follow Christ and that, that structure is laid out by the Bible for purpose. That's my thoughts. Yeah. It's good thoughts. Um, so part, part of what we wanted to do with that was pastors are elders, elders are pastors. Yeah. Okay, the New Testament uses them interchangeably. So don't get hung up when you see the word elders. Um, the Bible actually uses that most frequently to refer to New Testament leaders. Don't get into all that, but it's not bad that we use pastors. Pastors are good too. The Bible uses that too. Primary work of elders is shepherding or pastoring. So like they're interchangeable. So we want you to kind of like, Break down some of those barriers um, and like g give yourself a chance to see what this is about. The other thing I'll say that that I, I think is key is um, GBC believes that the biblical position on elders and pastors leading the church is, is reserved only for men. I believe the Bible teaches that. So it can be easy to come in here as, as a woman and say, like, why should I even pay attention to this? Does this even matter? Like you're talking about aspiring to be a pastor or like men who lead in the church. I would just say it matters profoundly. Um, because if, if you're a woman in, in this room, uh, you, you make up a significant part of the church. And if, if you don't understand God's design for the church, it hinders the whole church and, and it, and it, uh, it actually has the potential to then create, um, like the inability for the church to move forward in a healthy way. So one of the, one of the most important things you can do, whether you're a man or a woman is understand God's design for the church. So, so don't, don't tune it out because you think this doesn't apply to you. If you're going to be in a church for any length of time in your life, it matters profoundly because there's going to be leaders in that church and it matters what they're like and, and who they are. So um, that's just a little bit of something that I wanted to recognize there. So ultimately we land on this question as a, where we want you guys to be wrestling with. 
What does the Bible say about those who lead in the church? And our goal is to answer that over the course of the next few weeks. So you've got to come to grips with what does Scripture say? Not what do I think or what have I experienced or uh, all of that. Th those things play a part, but we got to wrestle with what does Scripture say? Yeah, I think the real key here is what does the Bible say? <clears throat> because the church, as you remember from this Healthy Church series, the church is God's people. So God's people should know how God instructs them to be organized and how to be led. So I feel like, like hopefully we can unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So today uh, we are on week one and we are kind of in order to set the stage for what's coming. We're going to talk about the idea of authority. So you're asking the question, is authority bad? Because we're talking about church leaders. We're talking about those who are in authority in the church. So we're going to lay groundwork for that. Um, so a couple of questions for you guys. What kind of authority relationships are you in? Whose authority are you under? Do you exercise authority over anyone? Thoughts on that? It's not often a thing we contemplate, at least actively or like consciously, although we, we live in this reality every day. Parenting. Yeah. Good. Work. Work. Yep. Mm. Yep. Other thoughts? Government. Yep. Necessary. Well, I should talk about that today, too. Um, one of the reasons I think this is especially critical for us to wrestle with, is authority bad? Is because we live in a culture, especially in America, where we're super skeptical of authority, where we're suspicious of authority, especially if uh, it's handled poorly or we experience some bad authority. Uh, we quickly want to throw that out and get rid of that. Um, <clears throat> so we have to wrestle with, is authority itself bad? Because uh, oftentimes that's where we go, like authority itself is bad because it was handled poorly. Or is it the fact that it was not that authority is bad, but that it was handled poorly in that particular instance? So uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a distinction that we're going to need to make, I think, as we move forward here. So um, main idea for today, and this is on your, your notes, uh, authority is a good gift from God that images his rule over us. A authority is a good gift from God that images his rule over us. So really what we want to do today, and you'll see this on your handout, is we kind of like do a little sweep of scripture and look at some different places in scripture where authority shows up in particular ways. And there's all different contexts here. And we'll try to draw some, some uh, application and conclusion from, from this. So first up, we've got Daniel 4, uh, verses 34 and 35. So... Uh, these are on your handout or they're up on the screen. You can follow along. <clears throat> um, let's read it here and then we'll give a little bit of uh, context to it. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Want to give us any context on that? <laughs> um, you mean briefly. Briefly. So yes. um, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, <clears throat> um, like great ruler, potentially uh, didn't handle authority very well, and God took it from him. So actually, he lost his power. And at the point where he says this, he's actually in the wilderness as a beast. So he went from king, like high authority, to animal, which is a huge transition. Um, and he, he looks at and says that uh, God rules over everything and has power over everything. Like, like his perspective on who actually gives the authority, I think is, is super cool to see here. Um, and that's really what we're trying to highlight is um, like, where did that power come from? Who gives it and who takes it away? And it's, I think this is just a great example of that. Cause that wasn't how Neb started. No. He started like, I'm, I'm it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm yeah. the guy. He was the guy. Yeah. Big statue um, kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, an example in scripture of somebody who views himself very highly, recognizing that actually there's one that's higher than me. Um, and, that, and that's all we can say on that story. So, <clears throat> quick question for you guys. Um, how does your heart react to the kind of language that says God rules over everything and does whatever he wants? What's your initial reaction, kind of your gut reaction to that? Not super calculated reaction, gut reaction. Okay. <clears throat> I feel like this is like a Sunday school answer, but my genuine heart response would be just grace because I mess up a lot and I need someone okay. who saves tomorrow. Yeah, so that's comforting. Yeah. Worship. I've never had to think about the answer after I became a Christian, but it's comforting to know that he's control because that's the number one thing that my unchurched friends say is why do bad things happen when mm. you praise this God and that's what mm. churches worship. That's exactly what it is. What he rules over everything. They don't they don't like that. They don't understand it. Mm. We have a perspective on it. It's just comforting because that's another relationship with him. Mm -hmm. To be the love of God and full of mercy. And they don't understand it. Yeah. Other reactions? I think, obviously, the reaction to that kind of statement might be different depending on where you come from. And, you know, if you were raised in church or if you weren't, and if you've been, you know, involved for a long time or you haven't, either way. But um, I think for me, my initial reaction to that is just like, duh. <laughs> like, that's obvious. You know, it's obvious that he rolls over everything and he does what he pleases because he created everything. And, you know, that, like, that's an obvious, <clears throat> you know. It's like built into him being God, built into essentially. Him being God, yeah. yeah. 
But I think you and Mark both sort of alluded to that the possibility of somebody who is outside of the church who this would be fearful and concerning mm -hmm. and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Any other thoughts on that one? Mm. Yeah, I picture that going differently. <laughs> Genesis 1? Yes. Genesis 1. <clears throat> Starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I think, I mean, there's so much we could talk about as far as creation um, and God and his role and his power and his authority there. Um, but I think there's a couple things we wanted to highlight here. One being that God created man in his image. So I think there, there's definitely something when we're talking about authority um, that man is created in God's image. And then when he created them in his image, he put them in authority over his creation. So it says that be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and every living thing that moves on the earth. So he gave man that authority to have dominion over the earth. So, um, so in some ways, even, you know, aside from whether you're a Christian or not, there's an element that's part of being human is having authority over mm -hmm. creation. Yes. Which is not really something I thought about before. Yeah. And potentially why we feel wired to like desire mm -hmm. to have power authority, or, um, we feel like we have some responsibility with authority, but we don't really necessarily know how to use that appropriately. Yeah, so uh, Sean and I were working yesterday tackling some plumbing. And uh, I don't know if you ever mess with plumbing, water, but we <laughs> like to say you can't trust water. Um, we had gotten together in the morning to kind of talk through what we were going to teach today a little bit, kind of finalize some things. And <laughs> as, as we were plumbing and unable to get the leak to stop, uh, <laughs> we were like, man, you know what? God created water, and that was really good. And then we tried to control water with plumbing and it goes poorly. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, but we're supposed to have dominion over creation. <laughs> like we are failing in our dominion. We are failing in the exercise of authority. We were unable to exercise yeah. authority. So yeah, but, but super, super relevant way to think through that. Um, so yeah, Genesis one, God's authority. He delegates some of that to humans. That's part of what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, Romans 13 is a passage that uh, we want to just read, and we don't have, can't make a lot of comment here, 
But to Matt's point about government, uh, this is where you see this in Scripture in a, in a pretty big way. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is the it, who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And like I said, we can't unpack all of this, and that's not our point, but suffice to say, the Bible speaks very clearly that government, authorities of government are put there by God. He's not surprised by that. We have a responsibility to be subject uh, to them and, and to, to respect, um, which is where some of the tension comes when we feel like maybe they don't handle authority well or it's poor authority. So we got to wrestle with that, too. It doesn't mean that we brush that aside or say it's okay, uh, but we have to wrestle with this as part of being in Scripture. Case in point, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we see, and we had this example when we were talking about authority pictures that we have, um, that there's clearly an authority uh, and submission picture in families. So children submitting to the authority of their parents, um, and then even the warning right tied to that, that fathers should not abuse that authority um, and provoke their children to anger. So um, that that relationship of you're given authority over your children, but don't abuse that like that's a blessing. And there's there's purpose behind that in the raising of your children. Yeah. In the, the family context, like Laura mentioned, we could have went back to Ephesians five and, yeah. and read husbands and wives. And it's like that whole family structure that God has ordained of authority. Um, is is helpful to think through because almost all of us are affected in in one way or another by by the family authorities. Uh, Hebrews thirteen then uh, verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, then verse seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls mm -hmm. as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the context here is. The local church, uh, the author of Hebrews is of the of Hebrews is writing to Christians in the first century, and he's writing to them. So when he says leaders, he's talking specifically about church leaders. Um, so not government or not family or those things. That's the context here. Um, so kind of drawing a little bit of a conclusion here from these three passages: uh, government, parents and kids, families, church leaders, church members in Hebrews thirteen. Um, Kind of what we want to point out here, kind of draw to your attention, is that in each of these relationships, God is the one who gives the authority. 
So it's not a self-made authority. It's not like I give myself this authority. You know, I, I knight myself kind of a thing. It's God grants the authority. And then also the response in each of these situations to those that are under the authority is submission and obedience. So whether it's government, whether it's parents, kids, whether it's uh, husband and wife submission, whether it's uh, church leaders, church members. So understanding that authority is a God-given thing that can be used poorly, and that God doesn't condone that, and he actually condemns that in his word. So we're not at all saying that that's a good thing. But authority itself is, is a God-given thing. And we all have to figure out how to be in submission to the authorities that are over us. There's not a single one of us that doesn't have some kind of authority over us, even humanly, apart from, from God being there. So we land on one more passage, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, this is David at the end of his life. Um, David experienced, I would say, probably quite a bit of authority in the, in the Old Testament. He had quite a bit of authority. He used his authority poorly in some ways, uh, especially particularly in the story of Bathsheba. Um, we were kind of talking through this yesterday and, you know, if you had read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 in a while, maybe go back and read that in my homework for this afternoon. Um, kind of sets a little bit of context into, you know, David kind of reorienting his heart a little bit. Um, so I want to land here on this passage and um, draw a couple of thoughts from here. 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 4. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Heck of an intro. Uh, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Good stuff. Um, I mean, you see the same kind of picture here as what we saw back in Daniel with a king at the end of his life sort of reflecting on God's power and his giving of authority and the rise and fall and abuse and, and all of the situation. Like he can look back on all of that stuff and just like his conclusion that he comes to that um, when one rules justly over men in the fear of God, like like that's the way it is supposed to be used. And, and when it does, under good authority, there is flourishing and there's growth and there's health and there's life. Um, and that just paints so many different pictures that we see um, throughout Scripture of like life coming from God. Um, the one that's jumping at me is... Uh, Jesus, I'm the, tr I'm the true vine. Like, like life comes from being rooted in who God is and in the exercising the authority, it comes and it flows out into those around you um, that then produces for the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a really good picture of uh, the result of authority that's used well. Right. Coming from a guy who didn't use authority well yeah. and repented of that and recognized that. Yeah. Um, so we got a quote here from 
Uh, Mr. Jameson, who you heard earlier in the video, just to give you a little bit of context. Um, in order for any person to rightly exercise authority, we must recognize that we are under God's authority. If we recognize that we are under God's authority, we will submit to his will. We will strive to wield authority righteously and for others' good, just as God does to us. We will recognize that our will isn't absolute, only God's is. If we don't exercise authority in the fear of God, we will be tempted to rule over others harshly, to abuse authority for our own benefit and others' hurt, and to take advantage of those under us rather than using our authority to bless them. So the idea that that, that picture of authority that is abusive, that is harsh, is absolutely contrary to God's plan and design for authority. So understanding that that kind of authority exists and some of us have experienced that in harsher ways than others. And that's not God's design. That, that's not the way God has intended things to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but like much of what God has made, we take it and we corrupt it. And our sin nature wields it for selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we have to wrestle with, especially as we're talking about authority in the life of the church, is leaders in the church must not wield authority selfishly. That actually disqualifies you from being a leader in the church. Mm -hmm. So understanding that the way GBC organizes, we're a congregational church, right? Which means final authority actually lands with the congregation. It means, we're going to talk about this further down, so I don't want to spoil it, but it means those of you that are members of GBC ultimately have to be able to tell, is a leader leading well and exercising authority well? And if not, uh, the responsibility certainly is on other leaders to recognize that, but it's also on you as members to recognize, hey, that's not right. That's not okay. Um, the Bible doesn't just put us under subjection to church leaders and they can do whatever they want, right? That's that's not the accurate picture there. So just, just to clarify that, all of us in here have a role to play in the authority of the church, which which one pack in future weeks too. But um, so landing here, kind of our, okay, so... If authority is God-given and is good when leaders exercise it in the fear of God, what does this mean for authority and submission in the church? And that's what the next few weeks are going to unpack. Um, so this is kind of our, our encouragement to say, lean into this a little bit, especially if you're like, man, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure how this plays out or how this applies to me or, or any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, lean into this a little bit because we're concluding the answer to the question is authority bad? No, because it's given by God, mm -hmm. right? It's God's thing. He set it up. He established it. Um, but good authority must always be in the fear of God. Otherwise, it's outside of the realm of what God has established. Yeah, and I think as the weeks play out, you'll see like the structure of who has authority. How do those pieces fit together? Um, What's the structure, you know, sort of the nuts and bolts a little bit of it. And then uh, if you've been here for the other Healthy Church series parts, um, spoiler alert, uh, you know that everybody has a role in that. It's not just certain people. So like the Healthy Church is, is a body and we are dependent on each other to function well. So like even though there are those in authority, sort of like what you were saying before, um, it's the responsibility of everybody and that's where that uh, discipline comes in and, and all that, the church membership, those, those 
pieces are vital to the health of the body. Um, and it's not just the responsibility of the leaders, it's the responsibility of all the members of the body uh, to function together in the way that God calls them to do so. Yeah, and, and I think too, um, I just think it's, it's amazing uh, the way God orchestrates kind of uh, even us talking about this at this particular time. Um, you know, one of the biggest things in the life of our church right now is the fact that our senior pastor is retiring in five months and uh, there's going to be a significant transition of leadership. Um, really, what better time to think about how is the church structured? What kind of leader do we need? What kind of leaders do we need in the church? What part do we play in that? Um, it's, it's, it's like that's a significant thing in the life of our church right now. So I think it's worth giving some time to that. Um, so we, we could have never planned it that way that we would be talking about this now. So um, pretty cool that God does that. So next week, um, God, the shepherd of his people. It's going to be set the stage for the ultimate shepherd, which then all the other shepherds should be modeled after.